Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. Hey, this is Big Chief and you're listening to the Bourbon Road. You know what I love to pour in my old fashions is a little maple syrup can't be just any maple syrup it has to be from seldom seen farms up in ohio he takes bourbon barrels pours his syrup in there and ages it for six to nine months making for some delicious just some delicious syrup that you could pour on pancakes you could pour it on waffles chicken and waffles like this fat guy likes but seriously you want to make a delicious cocktail with some maple syrup and not that old simple syrup Check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. Pick up some stuff from there today. We'd appreciate it. Hey, this is Mike Hyatt, and you're listening to The Bourbon Road. So, fans, we got a famous writer on. Um, he is a New York Times writer. And I bet you're thinking, why are you having a New York Times writer on? Well, he writes about bourbon he writes about whiskey uh and he's got a new book out called bourbon the story of kentucky whiskey mr clay rising clay welcome to the bourbon road hey man thanks for having me yeah so you are a you know you grew up in kind of whiskey land right you know not far from kentucky just just over into the tennessee territory there right yeah yeah i grew up in nashville and uh my dad's side is all from sort of north central Kentucky, uh, but they moved down to Nashville. Uh, my dad was born there, and then I grew up there. And but uh, when I was growing up, whiskey, you know, I mean, it was a thing that people drank, but it wasn't a thing that people talked about like they do now. And you know, it was uh, it was kind of Jack and Jim, and that was about it. So uh, yeah, back back in I probably grew up in the same era where that's all there really was. You'd go into a liquor store and the, you know Jack Daniels. There was only one color of Jack Daniels bottle and one color of Jim Beam bottle. There wasn't all these extra bottles out there. You see early times or something like that, and, yeah. uh, or people would drink. You know, I grew up in Texas and a lot of people drink SoCo and they'd call that whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> today yeah. I wouldn't consider that whiskey. I'd be like, what are you drinking? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you grew up in Nashville. Yeah. So, so how did you get from Nashville, Tennessee, to writing for the New York Times? I have no idea, man. <laughs> I woke up one day. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've been a journalist. That's my career, and I was in in DC for a while, uh, working for some publications down there. And one day, I got a call. Uh, I used to be more of an editor professionally, and uh, so I got hired by the Times to come up and be an editor. And uh, I did that for a while and then started, I had already been doing some freelance writing about whiskey. And uh, so I, I started writing for the Times about whiskey and no one else was doing it. So that was uh, kind of a big opportunity. And, uh, and then that led to some, some book opportunities and uh, speaking gigs. And, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And, uh, but I've managed to hold my, position. I haven't gotten fired yet from the times. And, uh, and now I'm a writer instead of an editor. So, uh, I don't know, you know, I think I always kind of wanted to be a writer. Uh, can't really do anything else. I, I tried to be a teacher for a while that failed miserably. 
my brother's a teacher and I hold teachers in very high esteem because that is a tough thing to do. But I enjoy writing and I've just been lucky to be able to do the thing that I love. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I got to meet you last year at the Kentucky yeah. Bourbon Festival and yeah, Steve Coombs right. said, hey, would you like to be on stage and and uh, talk about what it is to to write about whiskey and talk about whiskey? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, who else is going to be up there? And he, he started listing off names and yours was one of the ones that I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, this whole country boy is going to be on stage with a New York Times writer and somebody's written books and stuff. And the most I've ever written was a blog for our podcast on our website so um i was super honored to set up there and just kind of shoot the bull about whiskey right yeah that was a great panel i I had a lot of fun there that was great times yeah uh and then i get we get your book in the mail and i'm i I read it from cover to cover took notes and some people might shame me for doing this but i actually highlighted the areas in your book uh what i thought uh, were important to me and um, some things I wanted to ask you because I want to be prepared for an interview. Right. So yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to, I'll make sure I'm going to do this justice and stuff, but um, reading about you and stuff, I, I read about your first time kind of getting a taste whiskey. And I was super fascinated by that because you almost started in your whiskey journey like everybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, now it's kind of, I'm almost embarrassed to say, well, not embarrassed, but, um, so my, uh, my, my first whiskey was my first really good whiskey was Blanton's. And, uh, but the story is, so my grandfather who was from Mississippi, uh, he, uh, he was not a whiskey guy. He wasn't country. I don't know. There's this, there's, um, I don't know if they still exist, but you know, for a long time, there was this kind of middle-class guy in Nashville, certainly in Nashville you know, who, uh, they aspired to something finer, you know? So they didn't like country. Uh, they didn't like necessarily Southern food. My grandfather had an accent. He was a country boy from Mississippi, but you know, he just, he was a martini guy. Didn't really like whiskey, but one day, uh, he and I were playing golf and we came back and to his house and he's like, you know, I got this. I, I, I found this whiskey. I was at the store and uh, they sold me on this bottle a little more expensive than what I would pay. But uh, I tried it. It was aw- fantastic. You should try it. And he pulls it out and it blends and, uh, you know, very distinctive bottle and all that. And uh, man, I was, I was blown away. Cause the only thing I'd had was Jim Beam and Jack and, you know, down the, you know, down the ladder from that. And, uh, and Blanton's was just something totally different. Um, the idea that you could make a, uh, a premium bourbon, uh, was not something I had ever really thought about. You know, I here I am in my mid twenties and mostly thinking about fine liquor is cognac and scotch. That's it. So, um, so that kind of set me on a course. Uh, and I started. My brother lived in Nashville at the time, and so I would come home and we would take trips up into Kentucky. You know, two hours to Maker's Mark, basically, and you know we'd visit distilleries. And back then. Most distilleries didn't have visitor centers, and the ones yeah. that did were kind of, kind of. You just walk up and, you know, say hi, and they they take you on tour. That's that's what we did at Maker's Mark. Uh, you know, now I see the KDA is saying, well, wherever you go, you should make a reservation ahead of time. That's their standing recommendation, and that's great. I mean, I'm glad to see things going that way. But I remember back when, you know, most places were just happy to see you. 
you know, if you walked in the door, they're like, wow, tourists, this is awesome. Even at Woodford, you know, which you think of as made for tourists. Uh, they were, they were just, just sitting there waiting. And it was great because you could meet people and you could really, really spend some time at the distillery and see what was going on. And I learned so much through that. Uh, and then from there, I just, you know, look, I mean, as a journalist, I'm lucky enough to get to write about things I like, the things that interest me. And so I could just kind of use that as a reason to explore what was otherwise a hobby for me. And that's how it's always been. This is really kind of my hobby. And I'm lucky that I get to have this outlet to talk about it, you know, kind of like you. I mean, you know, you, you, uh, I assume, you know, you, you love whiskey and uh, you get to talk about it on your show. And that's a, a thing you get to do and you get to legitimize it in a certain way. I certainly get to legitimize it with my wife and tell her, well, you know, I got to work. <laughs> this is work, honey. This is not, this is not just me getting a drink. <laughs> I need to sit and try these whiskeys tonight. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's great. I mean, I couldn't ask for anything more. Well, speaking of working, uh, and I'm sure our listeners like, let's get to the whiskey, what you guys are drinking tonight, because we do drink whiskey on our podcast. Mm-hmm. What are you What are you drinking, Clay? I'm drinking the new uh, Toast to Barrel from Victor's. Oh, man. The There's so many good. people probably jealous right now of that. That That is some it, delicious. Um, it, it is delicious. And uh, I got to say, the last couple of days, I've been drinking some really high-proof stuff. And uh, and then last night, I was drinking some some pretty peaty scotch. And this is, uh, I, I've got to adjust my palate a little, even a day later. Like, this is very relatively mild, uh, relatively smooth. Uh, I like it a lot. Um, but I'm like, oh, wow, this is what, this is what regular proof whiskey tastes like. Um, <laughs> but it's good. It's, it's really, it's nice and velvety and creamy and they do a great job. I, I really love this series. Oh, Dan and Andrea there uh, and their whole team at, at Mictors is uh, they do a f- phenomenal job. You know, talk about some nice people right there. Uh, oh, yeah. And their whiskey every from the very lowest of uh, their expressions all the way up to the 20 year is just uh, it'll blow your doors off. Oh, man, it's fantastic. And I, I've known Joe because Joe Magliocco, he lives here in New York part time, you know, and so I, I've known him for a long time. And uh you know, so we've got, you know, we get together in New York sometimes. And I've interviewed him for stuff and he's, he's good people, but he also say the thing that he did right was hire the right folks. You know, uh, I mean, Dan and Andrea are a crack team. Like, yeah, they, they, they couldn't are, have got any yeah. better there. I don't think, yeah. um, well, listeners, what I'm drinking on is uh, some Castle and Key small batch, their uh, 2022 batch four. It, it's it's pretty nice. It's 97 proof. It's not overpowering or anything. Just spot on for a nice afternoon sip of whiskey, uh, which I really love. Well, Clay, when I'm uh, reading through your book here, I noticed you said that you believe that we're in the, perhaps the golden age of whiskey right now. And I was wondering, do you think that the golden age of whiskey or has blending and finishing bourbon entered a golden age right now, too? Yeah, I think what makes me want to say that, and I think that, you know, look, I recognize that there have been previous golden ages. So, you know, certainly the 60s and maybe the early 70s up through that, uh, back at the turn of the century, there was some, you know, allegedly, I have not had a lot of pre-prohibition whiskey, uh, uh, some, but not a lot to say. But, you know, I, I think right now we we are in that period, and part of it is for precisely that reason that, that 
what's happening now is there's a there's a lot of skill out there. I think that you know you talk about Dan and Andrea, and there are a lot of other people like them uh, who are doing great work. You know, Castle and Key. I mean, there's some just new distilleries uh, as well as places that continue to fire on all cylinders after you know generations of the same leadership. I mean, you know, Wild Turkey is one of my favorite distilleries and has been run by the same two guys for ever uh but but i think you add on to that uh a lot of innovation and and a lot of innovation in terms of stuff like blend like finishing right finishing was always uh wasn't was never something that uh was around back then that was not something people talked about in previous golden ages so to speak but is now such a part of the such a part of the toolkit and and i think has a lot more to offer uh, but then you look at something like blending that has always been there as a skill set, but has now become rightly so, you know, really moved to the forefront. You know, folks like Freddie and uh, Freddie No and and others who are not afraid to say, you know, look, I'm a blender. You know, I take barrels and I blend them together and I make cool whiskey. Uh, that I think is is uh is just opening the door to all kinds of stuff coming down the road so yeah i mean not only do i think we're in a golden age but i think things are going to get better uh over the next 10 years i think we're going to see increasingly better whiskey uh even than we have now that takes me to another point um you know we're starting to see people dig into history of bourbon and whiskey right really big um and you did a really fine job of digging into that history especially with enslaved distillers in your uh, book which I, I was super interested about um and i just went to to nashville to your hometown there and we went to the hermitage for the first time i don't know why it's the first time i ever went there huh. but what i was fascinated by was that there was a distillery on the hermitage but they don't talk about it a whole lot it's like they're shameful yeah. of it or something yeah that's interesting. Um, I haven't been there since I was a kid, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, there's uh, sort of one of the, you talk about enslaved people and, and, um, and distilling, you know, one of the famous documents in that or artifacts in that, uh, in that history is an ad that Andrew Jackson ran was before he became president. But, uh, you know, one of his, uh, one of his distiller, his main distiller uh, ran away you know, was escaped. And mm -hmm. uh, he ran ads as far as, I mean, at least as far as Lexington, because there's a, we know from a Lexington newspaper, there's the ad and it says, you know, escaped such and such, you know, this guy, my best distiller. Uh, and, you know, that was his statement of not only is this guy a distiller, but he's my best, you know, this is something of value to me. And the record is so thin on uh, the what role exactly enslaved people played in whiskey making. Um, you know, I think it's very hard to say definitively, uh, but there are so many anecdotal examples. Uh, you talk about nearest green. Uh, you talk about this, you know, Andrew Jackson's. You look at other ads similar to that. And, and then clearly there was a role played by enslaved people. I think there's a lot of work to be done in that world to figure that out and um there's there's some interest i mean i i've said i i in a different life maybe i'd be working on a phd and that would be what i'd do is just get some money and go dig through archives and you know county courthouses and just try to figure that out 
Um, so I think that's a great project for somebody. Yeah, that that would be a monster project. Uh, yeah, you know, talking about even more history, I it just the the detail that you went into digging into uh, history of not only that, but you also went in there and talked about changes and some of the history that's coming back today. The three chambered pot still I saw in your book, mm-hmm. uh, Leopold brothers. We just tasted some of his, uh, their whiskey out there and it, it'll blow your mind of it. It's, it can be a low proof for us um, and be a 90 proof or a hundred proof. But at the same time, being so viscous and so oily, it's just so cool, buttery, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, have you had a chance to try the the blend they did with George Dickel? I haven't had that yet. It would- I, if you ever get a chance to try that, because that actually, I mean, I think I think Leopold Brothers stuff is really cool. Uh, what I found was when they blended that three chamber stuff. What I this is just my opinion, but when they blended it with the column still stuff that they're making at Dickel, it was the perfect match. I mean, it, you know, it just, it balances all the, you know, cause you, the column still, that is, like you said, that's an oily, viscous, yeah. heavy and good whiskey. Uh, but it is in that register and you balance it with some sort of higher notes and some, you know, lighter rye notes coming off the pot, the column still. And they knocked that out of the park. Um, really, really fun. But, but I, I give hats off to Leopold brothers and Todd, uh, for going through the effort to just to, just to do something like that, to say, Hey, let's spend the money to build a still that no one has used in a hundred years and, you know, see what happens. That's cool. That, that, We're just digging, digging through that history, right? Yeah. And trying to figure that out is, is amazing. Figure out what it is. I mean, what's a three chamber still? Well, you know, there's some weird schematics and people talking about them way back in the day. But it's not like you just go online and find the find the detailed blueprints and then you build it. They really had to figure out what that was going to look like and how it how you would make one in the 21st century, one that really you know was safe and and you know reliable so uh that, that was cool uh and I, I i guess to your point i think you look at people committing that kind of effort to mining the past and coming up with cool ideas from that and you think man this is just this is an exciting time to be in whiskey yeah i you know i just read a story about Catherine carpenter uh hmm. and a lot of people probably don't know who she is uh a lot of people think that James Crow was the inventor of sour mash, right? Uh, right. But it's actually a woman that the first person they figured that wrote it down. Right. But the interesting fact that I found was that it was William Crow that was the caretaker of Catherine's children, and I wondered if uh, if somehow William Crow and James Crow were related somehow because oh. those two Crow names. And then, uh, you know, you talk about James Crow. Did he learn that from Catherine somehow? Because the years are right close and they were, would have been yeah. right down the road yeah. for him. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, uh, you know, a friend, friend of mine, you know, Reed Mittenbuehler, you know, he made the analogy that, uh, uh, J- you know, that Crow is kind of like the Steve Jobs of whiskey. It's, he didn't actually invent a lot of things. Um, in fact, he's not really credited with a lot of, with anything significant. What he did was to recognize the value of a lot of innovations out there and to put them together 
into a um, into a commercial enterprise. And so, you know, he was able to say, hey, here's this technology, here's this scientific technique over here, and here's this thing that I hear someone's doing over here, and what if we brought them together and we kind of figured out how they work to make a whiskey that we can then make in enough volume to sell. And, you know, kind of like Steve Jobs going, well, you know, he didn't invent the personal computer, but he kind of figured out how to make a personal computer that worked and that people wanted to buy at a good price uh, and that looked cool. And, uh, and that's a lot of what Crow did. Um, you know, so, ha- I mean, credit to him, because I think that's often the hardest thing to do is to figure out, well, okay, here's this cool idea, but how do we make it work commercially? Well, you think anybody will ever bring his brand back to to being a relevant brand? You think Jim Beam will say, hey, we need to go ahead and fix this and make this ship right? And I wish we just had talked to Freddie No not too long ago, and I wish I would have pounded him on that a little bit and said, (laughs) hey, man, uh, you know, I think the man deserves a a little credit here in the world. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I agree. I agree. I think that would be super cool. And I think it would be a cool thing for Beam to do. You know, whether they will or not. Um, I mean, that that stuff kind of, for them, I mean, I I, I assume it fits a certain niche that they're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. You know, some cheap stuff. So if they were going to elevate that, then they've got to come up with something else to make cheap stuff. But I got to say, I mean, that's a good brand. And it's got great history. And, uh, you know, so much, you know, it was, you know, U- Ulysses S. Grant's favorite whiskey and, uh, you know, they say the whiskey that won the Civil War. So, that's, that's yeah, they, <laughs> they they do say that. They didn't they say Lincoln said, hey, what kind of whiskey does? Yeah. Does Ulysses S. Grant drink? And he's like, well, get me. I need a barrel of that to send to him. Yeah, yeah exactly. That would be good. That'd be good marketing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think it would be. Uh, you're talking just brought up a president, but you, in your book, you you actually talk a lot uh, or you brought up about uh, Theodore Roosevelt, but you also brought up Taft and his importance in whiskey and whiskey blending. And I just was so, so fascinated by that. I didn't realize that there was a whole trial from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. It's, um, you know, I mean, it goes back to. Um, you know, everybody's favorite E.H. Taylor and, uh, you know, Taylor, among other things, have been a he was a big motivating force, uh, really a lobbyist behind the Pure Food and Drug Act. And, uh, you know, we think of that as being about meat safety and and uh, things like that. But one of the things he made sure was included was a rule about whiskey and what uh, what you could call whiskey, because at the time, most whiskey on the market was not what we would consider whiskey today. It was pure grain alcohol with uh, doctored to uh, look and kind of taste like whiskey. And so he said, well, and you know, and about 10% was what we would actually call whiskey and, and or bourbon. And he said, you know, look, we need rules about this. So the pure food and drug act said, all right, whiskey is going to be made this way. Uh, basically according to the way bourbon was made, kind of basically the way we think of it today and everything else has to be called imitation whiskey and uh so they you know theodore roosevelt signed pure food and drug act uh that became a a big big point of contention and when taft came to office uh you know and taft's an ohio guy uh and ohio was more of the uh uh ohio is a center for the uh uh the 
let's say more of the the, the big whiskey at the time, uh, this kind of imitation whiskey. And so he was being lobbied from the other side. And uh, so he, he, you know, and Taft always, Taft didn't want to be president or he was fine being president. He wanted to be a judge. He wanted to be a Supreme sure. Court judge. And so he was, he was happy to say, let's have a trial. And it's not a real trial, but it's basically him sitting there listening to the two sides. And uh, so E.H. Taylor's there and uh, uh, Secretary of the Treasury, Carlisle, was there. And, uh, and then lawyers on the other side. And they presented their cases for why, one, why you know, the Pure Food and Drug Act was right versus why imitation whiskey should be called whiskey. And so Taft, being a judicious guy, um, although I think it's kind of ridiculous, um, he said, okay, we're going we're to get rid of the imitation thing. Uh, we're going to call uh, one. There's going to be whiskey and there's going to be blended whiskey. And that's going to be it. But basically, it's all whiskey. And and that's that's how it was for, you know, for about 10 years. And then prohibition hit and, and everything got wiped out. But so for the 1910s, there was this uh, kind of anything goes. We're going to call it blended whiskey. Who knows what blended whiskey is? Uh but yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating that that's kind of how it played out. And, and to think about if we hadn't had prohibition, what that would have looked like. Because after prohibition, of course, the rules got changed and we ended up with what we have now. Yeah, to, to me, your book, it's, it's so spot on um, for the, the historian part of it. It, it, you cover all facets in this book, though. You, you talk about how whiskey is made. And um, one of the things I highlighted in here, you said corn is cheap and flavorful. But today, in the last, let's say the last year or two years, corn's doubled in price. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's important to mention because whiskey drinkers are always like, hey, I don't want to pay this you know, Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or even these smaller guys, um, cause the corn's going to cost them more than a giant like Jim Beam It's doubled in price for them too. So, you know, your whiskey is going to cost more. It's just a, a matter of economics, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, whiskey is an agricultural product and, uh, it rises, you know, it's price and its value rises and falls in part based on those underlying commodity uh, inputs, you know? So if you're, uh, if your grain prices double, you can't really control for that. You know, you can't, there's not a cheap, I mean, you can cut a few corners maybe, but you don't want to do too much. Uh, you know, barrel prices are going to be what they are. There are a lot of, in, there are a lot of really expensive inputs in making whiskey. You know, barrels are really expensive and, you know, uh, aging whiskey takes a long time and that is expensive. Uh, and that's not even talking about the labor that goes into all that. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out long term. Um, you know, commodity prices also go down sometimes. So, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, like, I'd like to see them do <clears throat> go, go down, but you know, people are still going to buy whiskey. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it doubles in price or not, they're going to yes. buy it, I think. And uh, you know that you probably pay double sometimes what we have to pay here in Kentucky because you live in New York City, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it and, gets, uh, pretty pricey here. Another thing I've noticed in your book about 
you know, I'd say about a quarter of the way in, you you wrote a chapter in here, how to drink your whiskey and what stuck out to me. Uh, so prevalent, as you said, I have a few words of advice for people looking to examine their whiskey up close. There may be no right way to drink it, um, but there are several tricks to make it easier uh, to tease out nuances of smell and flavor. What I loved about that was you said there's no right way to drink your whiskey. Uh, and that showed that you're not too serious about your whiskey still. Uh, even as a, as a expert, I would call you, you still are like, Hey, drink it. However you want to drink it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I feel like, look, first of all, you paid for it. So it's your thing, right? So who am I? No one, no one can tell you what you should do with it. If you want to sh- do it as a shot, you want to drink it on the rocks, you want to mix it. Uh, I mean, there's some whiskeys I would not do that with, but that's me. Uh, you want to do that? What? Who am I to tell you? Like, I can't tell you what to do. So I think it's always, and I do this with my, when I do a tasting too, I'm like, look, I'm not telling you how to do anything. I'm just giving you suggestions uh for certain things you know and how i'm going to tell you how i do it but if you don't want to do it that way that's fine with me you know but i do all that said i do think there are certain ways you know if you're if you really want to sit and smell a whiskey and pull out certain notes and really you know that kind of appreciation i mean there are many kinds of appreciation but that kind there are certain things i recommend uh but i think it's really important to preface it with all that because i i don't want to i don't want to come across as that guy but i also think it's important not to make people feel that they have to be that way in order to enjoy whiskey because that's that's just ridiculous and goes against the whole idea of what whiskey is yeah you i mean you really broke it down about snacking with your when you're drinking whiskey uh one of the things i was going to ask you is if you're gonna put a water drop in there what kind of water do you use you use new york city tap water or do you use you know, I'll be honest. I think New York City tap water is pretty awesome. So yeah, so yeah, I will. Now, if I'm at a competition or if I'm really trying to drill down, I might go get some distilled water or some or not distilled water. I'll get some filtered water. You know, some uh, you know something that really uh, is as pure as I can as I can get. But I, at the end of the day, I. I think the qualities of the whiskey are going to come out and I don't think that this or that tiny impurity is going to change it too much. Um, I'm just, I'm not precious in that way. Uh, sure. That's my palate. Now, if someone else wants to be all up about that and say, wow, you've got to do this and this and this, or this is how I do it. That's fine. That's, that's how they do it. But for me, you know, I mean, I, th- I think it's, I'm not a wine taster. I'm not a wine expert, but I do think that if you're doing wine, Wine is much more delicate. Wine, uh, it's a lower alcohol percentage. It's, uh, you know, it may be that a lot of other factors come in. But with whiskey, I just, you know, it's such a big, you know, even a basic 80 proof whiskey uh, is a big spirit. And so, you know, what what is in that, you know, little micrograms in that water, it's not, I just, it's not just, it's just not going to make a big difference to me. Sure. I mean, maybe a scientist could prove me wrong, but I don't. Yeah, the only thing I would think was when if you're drinking whiskey and you you fill your glass up with ice and it, oh yeah, you know, 
you got bad pipes in your house or something like that, old pipes, or you, you live in a yeah. 1930s house, then that's oh, what yeah. your ice maker's going yeah, off yeah, of. Sure. I mean, if you've got brown water yeah. coming out of your tap, that's a different thing. And, and I would agree. <laughs> I mean, I think ice, look, I love ice on a, on a hot day. I'll put ice with my whiskey. Uh, sometimes if I've got a high proof whiskey, I'll put an ice cube in there. Cause it, it's kind of cool to watch it change, you know, as the ice melts, the flavor changes. Uh, but I do think ice detracts from some of the nuances in the flavor. I mean, it's, um, I learned this, uh, for a long time I was doing, um, whiskey classes with a, at a cheese shop. And so we would pair whiskey with cheese and it worked. It, it was great. I'll tell you, they brought out some really big, powerful cheeses that worked really well. And I love cheese. So this is cool. Uh, and I love stinky big cheeses. So it was really cool to pair that with whiskey. But one of the things they taught me that I learned was you should always serve cheese at room temperature. Uh, it tastes so much better. Uh, you you just lose a lot of the flavor when it's cold. Uh, room temperature is always best. Like, That's true with whiskey, too. You know, um, in terms of tasting, you know, obviously, uh, again, on a hot day, you don't want to do that. But uh, in terms of tasting, it is the optimal flavor at room temperature. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. my wife would be loving what you're saying about cheese too because she's she's a half German and um, <laughs> she likes everything at room temperature. Just everything, yeah. Well, Fruit, and, everything. And I'm gonna be honest. Said, hey, and, and I, um, yeah, beer. I'm not, I'm that way with beer too. Like I like a cold beer. Don't get me wrong. The beer at room. Te- I'm. I guess I'm European like that. I like a beer. At room <laughs> I like a room temperature beer. That's just. <laughs> There's nothing that there's nothing that's wrong with that. I don't think, you know, you talk about entertaining in here and I highlighted one of the things that I just stood out to me is last line about entertaining. It says, get creative and have some fun instead of simply cinnamon, try red hots or uh, atomic fireballs. And I said, spot on. That's spot on about how we talk about our whiskey wheel. It's not yeah. it's not a somebody else's whiskey wheel it's our whiskey wheel it's how we want it to be yeah. um it's those nuances that you talked about with uh you know if i had a snickerdoodle when i was a kid and when i'm closing my eyes and sipping on that whiskey and i get a snickerdoodle i'm gonna say snickerdoodle so uh so i used to run a tasting panel uh or i still do but I, uh one of the members of my tasting panel was this guy a friend of mine he grew up in thailand he had a fantastic palate uh but one of the things about his palate was he um, he had all these sense these taste memories from growing up in Thailand, and he had access to all of these. He would go, "Oh, this is like the lemongrass that grew in this part of Thailand that my grandmother used to make this soup." I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even. I mean, we're tasting the same whiskey. Like maybe. I mean, I I, I believe him. But what was cool was there's so much culture and there's so much personal experience built into that. And I think it's the same thing. We talk about merit, you know, whiskey here in America. And, you know, if I say this tastes more like red hots or this tastes more like, uh, you know, cinnamon, you know, uh, uh, big red people will know generally what that means. Like, Oh yeah, that is more like red hots or that is more like cinnamon tea. Right. Uh, we just have a cultural palette, cultural sort of memory, taste memory that's different. And, you know, I think that's great because then you can have that conversation. 
And, you know, if you get a group of people together and they're coming from different backgrounds, like, oh, this tastes like this thing. Um, I did a book uh, earlier, a couple of years ago about single malt scotch. And one of the things I tried to do there was uh, my contribution was to give tasting notes from an American vernacular. Right. So I didn't talk about treacle and Turkish delight and sultanas because that's a British thing. Those are British things. I don't, I kind of know what those taste like, I guess, but most Americans are not going to know what those things are. And so I was trying to say, well, no, it's, it's, it's more like raisins and it's more like rum cake and, you know, these things that we know. And, uh, and I think that that's, that's so fun. That's such a, when I do a tasting, uh, just with friends, that's why I'm always trying to get people to talk about what's your background, what's your experience here. Because I want to hear what you think it tastes like from your perspective. Because it's not like it's not a test, you know. It's not like okay, there are there are five things here that this tastes like, and you've got to figure out what they are. It's total opposite. It's whatever you think, that's the answer. Yeah, we have a friend, uh, Rhett Baird. He makes bourbon furniture out of bourbon barrels, and uh, yeah. he actually. Uh, his uh, website, everybody listening, it's Rhett Baird Bourbon Barrel Furniture. If you want to check him out, he's on Facebook and stuff. But um, he's making us a tasting wheel. Uh, he went back and listened to every podcast we did and got every tasting note from us. And he's trying to make a tasting wheel for us. That's awesome. Which I, I think that was pretty badass because we always say yeah. we, sometimes we'll say something tastes like a whorehound and people are like, what is a whorehound? Well, that's yeah. me and me and Jim are a certain age where, you know, when we went to a drugstore, there was whorehounds in there yeah. candy. Um, so yeah, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool that he's doing that. And the tasting yeah, notes, yeah. the way you say to do that, that's what we try to tell our listeners. So to finish up this first half, I'm, so I'm through your book here is really, I think three parts, right? Um, you got the, mm -hmm. uh, the history of whiskey, then you got, um, Part two is the old guard you call it. And then part three, I think, is the the newer distilleries in in um in Kentucky. But right at the end of part one, you actually talk about Tennessee whiskey in here. And you said technically Tennessee whiskey is a subcategory of bourbon. And I and I wrote, damn, you said it. Uh, cause a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh whiskey experts out there, a lot of bourbon talkers, a lot of a lot of people in Tennessee get upset when you say that. I know. There are a lot of people won't say that. Um, right. And I, I, I was so glad that you said that in there. I mean, it is. It is, you know, I mean, what you call it is, uh, you know, you can make Tennessee whiskey in Kentucky and call it bourbon and no one's going to, no one's going to say anything. There's nothing in the rules about bourbon that say you cannot filter it through maple charcoal. Uh, so you can do that and you can call it bourbon. You, you can in Kentucky, if you do that and you don't want to run afoul of Tennesseans, you might call it a Tennessee style whiskey. Uh, you know, you can make it in Tennessee and call it bourbon. You don't have to call it Tennessee whiskey. Uh, if you do call it Tennessee whiskey, you obviously have to follow those rules. But I think, I mean, there's just no ar arguing that is a subcategory uh, and a self-identified one. Now, I love Tennessee-style whiskey, and I respect it 
I grew up with it. I think it's a cool thing and it is its own thing, but you know, it is not parallel with bourbon in if you're going to come up with some scientific order to it. Yeah, I'm actually holding a bottle of um, bourbon whiskey here, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey in my hand. And uh, they're pretty famous for their for Jack Daniel suing them. Um, but right on the top of the label, it says charcoal mellowed, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, which is is Ezra Brooks. Uh, yeah, a, lot yeah, yeah. Know, a lot of people know that. But some people don't know that. Uh, so that just proof to point that some bourbons are charcoal mellowed. Uh, yeah. And I so think, is um, uh, uh, Tennessee uh, bourbon down there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, Johnny Drum, I think, is also charcoal melon. Um, you know, and, and, and there are some who are charcoal melon. They don't even talk about it. And that's fine. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's uh, I, you know, I think the charcoal, the maple charcoal thing is more, I mean, it's more than a gimmick. I think it makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't put too much stock in, in those distinctions. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just like it's 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 whiskey. It's bourbon whiskey. Somebody the other day said, "Well, whiskey that's made in Kentucky is not whiskey. It's bourbon." I was like, "All right, I'm not gonna. You're like a mule. I don't. There's no point in arguing with you." Um, I know. I you know. I, I often just kind of let that stuff just slide off. You know. Yep. Yep. And the, the, the girl actually told me, she was like, well, where are you from? And I was like, well, I'm from Texas. And she was like, well, you don't know anything about bourbon anyway. So I was like, all right. All right. You know, I didn't <laughs> say, hey, uh, we got a podcast and we probably uh, drink a little over a thousand bottles from a thousand bottles a year. Um, we try to try to know a little bit, but I didn't say none of that. It's just, it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go finish my whiskey here. Well, Clay, we're at the end of the first half right here. Uh, and listeners, when we get back, we're going to get into Clay's second half of the book and his new book that will be coming out and you need to get. And I'm just going to let you listeners know, you got to stick with us to the very end because Clay actually sent us uh, five of these books and we're going to give away three of them. So stick with us at the very end. We're going to let you know how to get one of those books. We'll be right back. Man, Jim, you know what I've really been enjoying lately? Oh, you're going to tell me. Some of that seldom seen farms maple syrup that's been aged in bourbon barrels. It is absolutely delicious, not only in a cocktail, but you can cook with it, right? You can. You absolutely can. Now, Mike, Kevin just sent me a new shipment, so I got a little bit more. And I've been making some beef jerky lately. Really? Yeah. Now, I know you're the meat master. <laughs> but but I, I tried my hand at it. I said, you know, I want to make some beef jerky. And I've got a pretty decent beef jerky recipe. And it's got a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of Worcestershire, a little bit of, you know, onion powder, garlic powder, those kind of things. But I always put brown sugar in it. Well, this time, Kevin sent me a bottle of his granulated maple sugar. Wow. And I decided that I was going to substitute the maple sugar for the brown sugar. Oh, game changer. Let me tell you. Total game changer. Total game changer. Some of the best beef jerky you've ever had. So I'm going to make another batch here in in about a week, and I'll be sure to get you some. Man, that that sounds delicious. Vivian took, and we just got an air fryer like most people got these days, right? And uh, she took and soaked 
fresh pineapple in that maple syrup and then put it in the air fryer and it kind of crisp up a little bit. Oh, sounds uh, good. It was just magically delicious. Um, and people probably wonder why we love it so much. Kevin competed in the maple festival uh, last year, 2021, and he was named grand champion. Uh, that's saying something. So seldom seen farms grand champion of the 2021 maple syrup festival. Yeah. Wow. That's- that's saying something. Yeah. You're going up against some heavy hitters in maple syrup. And I know we're we're talking about just the syrup, but um, you know, that's something to be proud of. Uh hats off to you, Kevin, for winning that. Kevin's also uh competing in a couple other competitions. Make sure you check out his website, check out his social media on Instagram and Facebook. You won't be uh disappointed. If you want to buy something from him, where can they go, Jim? You can go to seldomseenmaple.com. And Kevin and his crew, they've got a great website, very easy to navigate. They've got all their products on there. You can buy their maple syrup by the bottle. You can buy it by the case. Uh, You can buy that sugar. Oh, my goodness, Mike. That stuff is so good. Uh, And they've got some other gift sets there, too. So you definitely want to check it out. Well, he's also going to be in some distilleries pretty shortly here. Um, Some distilleries that I love and I know you love. He's going to be down Leaper's Fork. you can find a syrup down there aged in their barrels. Treaty Oak down in Dripping Springs, Texas. Um, I was just out there. His syrup's going to be there. Awesome. Um, and in Garrison Brothers in Texas, if you think uh, you love some maple syrup, make sure you go into Garrison Brothers and pick up a bottle from them also. Uh, Kevin, appreciate it. Uh, I know he he loves people. You're supporting a local farmer, a local product, a small family. This is no factory place that's putting out maple syrup, right, Jim? This is a good man doing good work. Yeah, got to love it. Well, make sure you check out his site. Like Jim said, seldomseenmaple.com. Pick up a bottle today. All right, listeners, we are back, and we got Clay Rising on. He is a New York Times writer, and he's really famous for writing obituaries, but what else he writes about is whiskey. Or, or We probably wouldn't be having him on the show because I don't want to talk about dead people. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, <laughs> but, Clay, what do you got in your glass for the second half? I'm drinking um, batch two of uh, American Highway Reserve. Uh, this is uh, – this is Brad Paisley's whiskey. And uh, one of the things I, I do like about this, um, I mean, it's a celebrity whiskey, but uh, I, I think they put a little bit more work into it than some of the other ones out there. And uh, the cool thing about batch two is it's made, I mean, it's all produced at Bardstown Bourbon Company, but this is a uh, big portion of it is sourced from, uh, they, I think they got 600 barrels of corn whiskey from Georgia, from a defunct distillery down there. So, uh, you know, I think that's going out on a limb. It's kind of cool. Um, I also think it tastes really good. I've had this before and, uh, you know, it's, it just gives it that corn. I love corn whiskey. Um, you know, I, I mellow corns, one of my, one of my go-tos. Uh, and, uh, I think they did a really nice job of bringing that into, um, you know, what otherwise would be a pretty conventional bourbon palette, bourbon profile. Uh, it just gives it a kind of unique flavor. Yeah, the, the corn whiskeys are uh, phenomenal. I actually just had somebody talk to me about uh, corn whiskey out of Denison, Texas, Iron Root. And they, yeah, Iron they Root. Like, oh, my God. Sorry, man. I, no, you're good. Whiskey, <laughs> no, their corn whiskey is so good. <laughs> their corn this, whiskey blew me away. Hey. 
this cat was like, he was like, man, because I was like, they, I was like, where are you guys from? And they're like, oh, we're from Dallas. I said, you ever been up to Denison before and visited uh, Iron Root? And they were like, yeah, that's disgusting whiskey. And I was like, yeah, we're, I don't know. I think we're talking about the same place. I was like, oh. Uh. You know, it's like drinking scotch and drinking bourbon. It's two different things, really. It's a subcategory of bourbon. It's Texas whiskey. It's different. I was like, you need to, you need to go back and visit and check it out. And yeah, um, I think Iron Root is those guys are brilliant, uh, really good distillers, and uh, they had. Uh, uh, I tasted a, a barrel strength corn whiskey that someone else bottled for them, maybe a year or two ago. And uh, it was one of the best. And this was in 2021. It was one of the best whiskeys I had all year. It is. It, they are simply amazing. What I got in my glass, though, is from the old old man whiskey himself from, uh, well, from him and his son. I got some Master's Keep Toasted Oak Finish right here. Mm. Uh, 101 Proof. Jimmy and Eddie, mm. man, they, they can lay down some whiskey. Uh, no. If you see this bottle on a shelf, you better grab it up. I, you know, Jim always says, hey, you're a weeded guy. And I am a weeded guy, but, uh, and Jim loves it, wild turkey, but the Master's Keep, uh, especially this bottle right here, I've I've been savoring a little bit, but I was like, man, I got a special guest on. We're going to drink a special whiskey. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's what I got in my glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good stuff, man. Cheers. <laughs> One of those magical bottles that shows up at our house. Well, going through your second half of your book, really, it you laid out what every kind of when the distillers were founded, how much whiskey they're laying down, uh, who they're owned by, um, their leading brand and their master distiller, which some of them have changed in the last six months uh, a lot, um, which I know that you're probably like, God dang it. Uh, I just wrote that book and now I'm going to have to go back and write another book, um, yeah. which is nice. But listeners, what I'd say uh, and clay is make sure you purchase this book. And before you come on your pilgrimage to Kentucky, uh, I, I just think you were spot on on, on everything in here. Um, no, I didn't have a whole lot of notes for the second half of your book. Cause you're just, to the T, to your credit, you really did your research. I loved it seeing that. Um, it's nice when you see somebody put good work into something like this. Well, it was it was fun to do. I mean, it was a little tough because I started doing working on the book in 2019, and uh, you know, made some trips out. Uh, but I really planned on 2020 being the time when I would uh, kind of come out and spend a lot of time in Kentucky. And of course the pandemic hit and uh, places shut down and all of a sudden it was difficult to get out there and there was nowhere to go. Uh, So I ended up coming out, you know, a couple of times making a few trips, uh, but, you know, really had to draw on a lot of institutional, not our institutional, a lot of uh, knowledge I already had and then doing some phone interviews and, and then, you know, adding to that as much as possible with, uh, with on the ground visits. Uh, so that, that kind of complicated everything a little bit, but I think it worked out. I mean, it was, you know, we had uh, a really great photographer with the book. And one of the things I'm really proud of, I had nothing to do with 
which is uh, photography. I, uh, Luke Sherritt, who is a Louisville-based photographer, he, um, I knew him through the New York Times. He had done some work for us. And so I suggested him. I said, that guy, that guy nails it. And so, you know, he, w- we talked a few times and then I gave him a list of places to go because uh, we didn't really have a chance to meet up. And it's like, I, I, I might as well have just given him my brain because he knew exact, not just the shots to get, but like the vibe to get. So uh, one of the things I really like about the book is that, you know, the photographs really go with, I think, really go with the tone and the vibe I was trying to get with my words. And, uh, and also, I think just generally, like they really speak to, you know, what is it like, uh, in an ideal sense to go to some of these distilleries, you know, there are some really great kind of morning shots that he got. Uh, there are some, you know, some mist coming out over the, over the Rick houses and uh, some great personal. She had a great shot of Eddie. He's got, uh, you know, uh, you know, some other folks that he just got really nice, really captured the, the, the personality of the figures. And so I think that makes the book. Yeah, I think uh, the Kelvin Cooperage uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in Vendome photos are, are really nice. Uh, you know, the Kelvin Cooperage is uh, the, just the fire coming out of the barrels and stuff. Yeah. And I've seen plenty of those photos before. Even photos of the corn and the farmer of Albert Peterson uh, standing yeah. near his was, corn. Yeah, that was that was really cool. I, I went. I, I did get to meet him in person and got to check out his farm. Uh, they're not that far from Maker's Mark. And uh, that that was fun. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed, I went to ISC for a while and uh, got to, I'd been been to some of their other facilities, but went to their their Lebanon facility and uh, Lebanon. And uh, that was really cool. Uh, that's a that's a fantastic spot. And they do public tours, you know, so I'm I'm always telling people if you're up in bourbon country and you have and you're trying to figure out what's the next place you want to go to, like go to, go to Lebanon and go to ISC because you'll learn something about barrel making. And that's yeah. so important to whiskey. I mean, the, uh, I was taking a tour and they, um, uh, they pointed out, you know, how, you know, we were walking past all these stave yards or walking through the stave yard and looking at the pile of staves and there are all these mushrooms growing on the staves. And I, you know, I, what did I know? I said, oh, you know, what do you, what do you do with those mushrooms? You got to get rid of the mushrooms. And, uh, I said, no, no, man, the mushrooms are good. We want the mushrooms because the mushrooms break down some of the, the chemical structure of the, of the wood and they, they impart chemicals and all of that is part of the process. You know, you've got to have these microflora in there and these, these fungi doing their work. And that was something I had no idea about. I had never thought. I just thought Staveyard was just where they dried the wood. But actually, there's all this other stuff going on. And uh, that was the idea that that mushrooms are really important to whiskey making, to bourbon making, was blew my mind. <laughs> I see. That's the backstories you you hear about writers mm-hmm. and the stories you get to hear, and um, just that behind the scenes stuff that's just so fascinating about uh whiskey and bourbon and um the distillery life you know is is a whole thing um in your book you 
listeners, I would say that, you know, this book is, if you're not educated on whiskey, uh, you know, Clay, you went in here in your glossary and you, you wrote pretty much everything about whiskey making every little thing from Esther, um, to what, uh, NAS is, which is no age statement, uh, what a mash bill really is, uh, what malt is, um, what a Rick house is, you know, cause whenever I say Rick house, somebody be like, what's a Rick house, uh, what a thumper is <laughs> you, you went and really gave a definition for every little thing in here and in your book. And then you went into a, and made a directory for people that uh, not only of every distillery, but their phone number and their website. I just, uh, your attention to detail in this book is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted. Yeah, I just wanted people to be able to use it as a one-stop shop. You know, um, the idea really is, uh, you know, if you're looking to go to Kentucky, you can use this book. It's very useful. Uh, it'll visually it'll whet your appetite, but also it'll give you the information you need to plan a trip. Uh, I don't have hotel recommendations, but otherwise, uh, you know, otherwise, uh, as far as the distilleries go, you can plan it out there. Uh, but then also, you know, if you've been there and done that, hopefully come away and go, ah, I remember I saw that or, or I, I didn't get to that distillery next time I'm going to go there. Um, you know, that's really, that, that's really kind of the hope with it. Um, you know, and it, and it looks good, I think, which is not, yeah, no, you put it, I didn't design it. So you put a second part to your book in here and it's like all these blueprints and a, a map of all the pre-prohibition uh, distilleries. Uh, you put some old labels and uh, some old uh, uh, postcards and stuff. And I just, yeah. I'm just loving it, man. It's just the history that went into this. Uh, yeah. I was really old- happy that, um, yeah, some of the distilleries were really helpful in terms of uh, just getting some old history. Um, Amir Pei, the guy who owns um, uh, in Lexington, he owns the old pepper distillery. Uh, he's a big collector of old stuff, uh, pepper and not pepper. Uh, and so he was he was very helpful with that. The Buffalo Trace folks have an amazing archive. It's not part of the tour, uh, but it is not it's uh it's on this it's actually in the buffalo trace facility you know on their grounds uh, mm-hmm. i guess you have to know somebody to get there <laughs> it's awesome their archive is so cool uh it's both you know it's it's posters and it's it's bottles and it's anything that's ever been affiliated with any of you know not i mean it's buffalo trace but you know previous iterations of buffalo trace uh various names uh, they've got all that. They've got old. We have we have the warehouse C schematic is in there. Uh, they have old dis, you know actual distillery schematics. Uh, it's so cool. Uh, if you ever have a chance to go, um, definitely go to the archive. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then we made our own map, or we, someone at at Penguin Ten Speed, uh, they made the map. And so there's a nice kind of fold out map of all the distilleries in Kentucky that we talk about in the book and gives a nice kind of flavor of what geographically we're talking about. Yeah, it was nice to see that you put that extra effort in or, you know, your publisher did and uh, 
You know, is it a nice package? Um, I love seeing that stuff. It, this make a great gift for, you know, if you have a spouse or uh, somebody you're looking for a Christmas gift or uh, something like that. Where yeah. can our yeah. listeners purchase this book, though? Uh, is it on Amazon? It, it is on Amazon. Uh, you can buy it there. And if you do, leave a comment, leave a review. Uh, but, uh, yeah, most... Uh, a lot of bookstores carry it. You know, I'm, I tend to look when I'm in a bookstore and, you know, they have it. Uh, uh, a lot of distilleries carry it too. So if you're in Kentucky, um, you know, I know they carry it at, uh, you know, Buffalo Trace, for example, they, they have it and, um, you know, some other, uh, other places around. Uh, yeah. You know, and, um, if, uh, if I'm ever in the area and someone, someone knows them around, I'm happy to drop by and give us, you know, sign a book for you. Well, we, we brought up that you were writing a new book. What's your new book about? So the new book, uh, it is, I've got, I've got finished copy right here. So this is American rye. And, um, if people have seen some of my other books, uh, they know it's sort of the same, same design, same idea. Uh, I did a book on back when you can do a book on a all, all American whiskey, one book. Uh, I did a book on American whiskey. I did a book on single malt scotch and now rye. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a history, you know, the front part is history is uh, some of the same stuff we talked about in terms of, you know, drinking and enjoying whiskey. But then the bulk of it is profiles and reviews of, I think we have 228 expressions in here. Uh, you know, everything from wheel horse whiskey, you know, rough rider, river set, reservoir, rabbit hole, uh, old Carter, old elk, you know, the, the gamut. And I did all this with a tasting panel and we tasted everything blind. So, you know, this is, uh, there's, there's no, there's no bias here. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, everything was tasted just, for the whiskey itself. And, and I've got some great folks who, who sit on the whiskey tasting panel with me and the, uh, the books, this is also available on Amazon. Um, I actually just, as we were talking, I got a little note, uh, a little text from my publisher, uh, that the, the ship that the book was on, and this is what publishing is like these days, folks. Um, the, the ship just docked in long beach. So, uh, which means that hopefully we will, we have been saying November 8th is the pub date. Uh, and hopefully that means we've got a month uh, that we will meet that pub date. But these days, book publishing is, it's an insane business because you say it's going to be here on this date. All books are printed in China or Asia generally. Uh, this book was printed in South Korea, uh, but it has to get on a boat and it has to be unloaded. And you don't know. You don't know how long that's going to take. So, it. I mean, with the uh, with the book we were talking about with uh, uh, with bourbon, that was delayed by a month last year because it couldn't be unloaded in California. So, so it's kind of crazy. But anyway, so it'll be it'll be here well well before Christmas. Uh, hopefully, people will look for it as a Christmas gift. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. I generally think that rye whiskey. I, mean, I love bourbon. It's my first love, but rye whiskey is a, is an amazing category right now. There's so much going on. Uh, rye is such a flexible spirit. 
there's so much range in terms of young rye, old rye, so much character that, that a good distiller can pull out from any of those age ranges. Um, it mixes well. I mean, I just, I can't say enough great things about rye these days. So, and I, I say that not because I have a book coming out, but because I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you got to sell. You definitely got to sell. Got to uh, sell. I got always be selling, man. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Everybody's like, can't you stop talking about whiskey? And I'm like, nah, it's, it's, it's in my blood now. I got to do it. I know, right? No, yeah. It's, it's kind of never not in my blood these days. Well, Clay, uh, so we do have, like I said, uh, three of your bourbon, the story of Kentucky whiskey to give away. Um, where can our listeners find you at? Uh, so I'm I'm on Twitter uh, at just at Risen C. And that's spelled like Risen, like uh, R-I-S-E-N-C. Uh, I'm on Instagram with the same handle. I'm kind of always, I'm kind of everywhere at that handle. Uh, and also that handle at gmail.com. So rise and see that's, that's me. I'm also, uh, you can reach me through my website, clayrisen.com. Uh, I've got a form there. So if, if you forget everything else, go there, you can email me. I respond. I promise. Awesome. Awesome. So listeners, this is how we're going to do this. We got three different books here that are all the same book, but we got three of them. And I want to make sure Clay gets hit on three different social media platforms. This is how we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to post this on TikTok. Uh, I'll do a little video with this book. Um, we're going to post this on Instagram and we're going to post this in our private Facebook group, the roadies, um, you'll have to tag three people for us. Um, I'm not sure if you can do that on TikTok or not. Um, but if you're a TikToker, you'll know how to do it. Uh, tag three people and you'll also have to hit a uh, hashtag rise and see for us. Um, make sure you also tag clay in your post or on the comments in the post. Um, so we'll give away one on, like I said, on Facebook, we're going to give one away on Instagram and one away on TikTok. And, um, I'm going to kind of stagger those. So starting at 10 o'clock, uh, tonight, uh, we'll go ahead and decide who wins. Um, it's just a randomizer. So make sure you go on to each one of those. If you wanted to try to win all three books, but I'm going to make sure that three different people get to win. Um, so that way we spread the love and we get the word out about Clay's books. Um, read his stuff, go check his website out. I'll leave him some comments. Uh, Clay, we really appreciate you being on the show, man. Oh man, this is great. I, this is so much fun. I've wanted to come on your show for a long time. So <laughs> Good no, I, have. I can't I mean, believe that, man. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I knew about you before we met at um, the Bourbon Festival, but then after that, I was like, man, that guy's a cool. That, he's a cool guy. I want to want to go chat on his website on his podcast. <laughs> so this has been a real joy. I really, really love fun, man. You told us where our listeners can find you, the find your books. Uh, I can't say thank you enough of uh, coming on here, supporting us, taking some time out of your day um, to help us out and stuff. Um, so thanks for being part of the Bourbon Road family now. Uh, we'll have to make sure we get you a T-shirt. You can rock it there in New York City, Clay. Um, 
Uh, we'll send you two t-shirts. Heck, we'll send you the bourbon bullshitter t-shirt and the bourbon yep. road shirt. Uh, okay. That way you can walk around there and be like, wow, check that guy out. He must yeah. he must really like some bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, whenever I wear my, my whiskey-related t-shirts in New York, I always get compliments. People always say, damn. So, yeah, <laughs> send it. I will wear it. I'll be free advertising. No problem. You, you look like a whiskey drinker to me. Uh, good. You, you know, good. you got a nice <laughs> thick beard and yeah. some good good head of hair on yourself. And yeah, uh, I can yeah, see I you with a big rocks though. glass and some leather. Yeah. Leather chair. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I see that. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right, listeners, you know where you can find us at. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube. The main place you can find us is on Facebook, on our private Facebook group, the Bourbon Roadies. You got to be 21. You got to love bourbon. You got to agree to play nice because we don't tolerate any rudeness. That means we don't talk about politics in there. We don't talk about religion in there. We talk about whiskey. You want to celebrate life. You want to celebrate a birth or retirement. Even if you have a loved one that passes away, we'll raise a glass to that family member and say cheers uh, to that life lived and that love of whiskey. So come in there and join that group. Um, we do two shows a week. We do a bourbon review or a whiskey review on Mondays, sometimes of a craft distillery, but um, we'll give you a great review of it and let you know whether you should have it on your shelf or not. Then on Wednesdays, we do a long format show. It's an hour long. It'll get you to work and back home, hopefully. Um, like today, we had Clay Rising on with his amazing book, Bourbon, the Story of Kentucky Whiskey. Um, we hope you listen to those. The way you want to make sure you can listen to it and get reminded of that, you want to scroll up to the top of that app you're listening on, hit that check sign, that plus sign, that subscribe sign. That'll let you know, hey, these two jokers got a show out today and you need to listen to it. Then we want you to scroll on down. Hit that five-star review. Leave us some comments because you know what's going to happen if you don't. The big, bad booty daddy of bourbon is going to come dragging his bourbon wagon to your house. He's going to have some of this wild turkey and some of this castle key in that wagon. You'll drink it all night long. By the end of the night, you're going to give us that five-star review. Leave us some comments. We guarantee. But seriously, those comments, those reviews, they get great whiskey in our hand. Um, they also get great guests on our show like Mr. Clay Rising here. Um we really appreciate it. Also, you can check out our website, thebourbonroad.com. You can go on there and purchase off our swag. We also have some articles on there, our reviews. Uh, we'd appreciate you if you go on there and check that out. Uh, you can contact us on there. You can reach Jim at Jim at the Bourbon Road. You can reach me at Mike at the Bourbon Road. Bob. Probably the best way to reach out to us is on our Instagrams, DM us. Um, he's Jay Shannon 63. I'm Big Bourbon Chief, and we'll see you on down the bourbon road.